Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12. We're going to read down to verse 30. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges, about a cubit's length, and uh, he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, he, and he was sitting in his summer power, uh, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he, rose, uh, he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from the right thigh and thrust it into his belly. The haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came, and uh, when they saw that, the, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, that he said, Surely he covereth his feet in his uh, summer chamber." And they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried, and passed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Sereth. And it came to pass, when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mount of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemy, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan towards Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest four score years. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. I pray that we might be able to learn some um, powerful truths in this passage that will enable us to experience victory upon victory, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, that when the people of God cry out, Unto the Lord you hear us, and Lord you respond to us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we have this message that we can look at, how we can get victory over those things that oppress us. 
and defeat us and hold us down. I pray that you'd speak to us in a special way this morning. I pray if there's someone here not saved, may they realize they can be born again through faith in Christ and have new life that's abundant, free, and it's eternal in the heavens. And so I pray they might be saved this morning. Bless the preaching of the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 15. It says, But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a president to Eglon, the king of Moab, getting the fat man off your back. Uh, you know, many people deal with drug problems and uh, addictions, and it's uh, like a fat man on their back holding them down constantly. I believe many believers struggle uh, with the oppression of the devil, oppression of demons upon them. I believe many people deal with depression and discouragement. We allow things in life to rob us of the joy of living a victorious life, and sometimes we just need to get the fat man off our back. Amen. And uh, that's what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. Uh, there is uh, children of Israel disobeyed God, and because they disobeyed God, God would bring judgment on them in the form of the Moabite nation oppressing Israel. And the book of Judges can be outlined with a simple 3B outline, backsliding, bondage, and blessing. The children of Israel would backslide away from their God, God would bring a judge, I mean an enemy, a nation against them and bring them into bondage. And when they would come under conviction, they would cry unto God. God would raise up a deliverer and then bless Israel once again. And so backsliding, bondage, and blessing. And chapter 3 of Judges is a great summary, if you will, or example of the history of Israel throughout the whole period of the judges. And so here is this man, Eglon, and the Bible says that he was a fat man and that he oppressed Israel. You know, I want to consider the characters that are involved in this story. First of all, we have the Moabites because it says Moab had come down against Israel. Uh, Moab was the uh, descendants of uh, Lot's improper relationship with his older daughter when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, the daughters of Lot would cause him to get drunk and lay with their father. And one of the oldest uh, daughter would have a son whose name would be Moab. And they, he, his descendants were the Moabite nation that were constantly oppressing and going after Israel. But then there is also Ammon. Ammon is in this story. Ammon is a descendant of the improper relationship of Lot with his youngest daughter. And uh, he had a son by her, and his name was Ammon, and he would become the nation of the Ammonites that would also be a thorn in the flesh of Israel and oppress Israel constantly. It says in uh, verse uh, 13, there is also Amalek that was present, of fighting against Israel. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And you think of the conflict between Esau and Jacob, and that carried on. You know, the sins of the fathers passed into the third and fourth generation. And uh, as Esau would be in opposition with uh, Jacob, his grandson would carry on that trait and oppress the people of Israel. And then, of course, we have Israel 
who are the descendants of Jacob. So we have all these people, all this plot that is going on, all this uh, situation that is being faced, and the wrongdoing of Israel brought them in bondage. It says that Israel was in bondage to uh, um, Moab for 18 years. Realize that this morning, that uh, wrongdoings and wrong decisions in our life will bring long-lasting consequences. Not just consequences immediately in your life, but consequences be throughout your life and consequences in reference to uh, your descendants uh, that would come along and despise the God that you may love. And so here is this man, Eglon, uh, that is birthed out of all this historical events and opposition uh, between two people, and that's Jacob and Esau. And uh, we see this as, a, as Lot's children raise up children that are ungodly children. And so Eglon. Notice the word Eglon means calf-like. I think that's very significant because it says here that he was a fat man. So that means he was fat as a cow. Amen. And uh, he was a huge man. He was a big man. He was an idol worshiper. Uh, you know, remember that in, in the book of Ruth, when Elimelech and Naomi leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they leave because there's a famine in the land, and where do they go? They go to Moab. And when they go down into the country of Moab, what happens when they get there? Uh, Elimelech and Naomi's two boys, instead of marrying Israelite women, marry two Moabite women. And uh, listen, when you put your children in a situation where they're around the unsaved, don't be shocked when they take on the unsaved's character traits. And oftentimes people say, I don't understand why my children act like they do. Well, why don't you look at who you're allowing them to hang out with? And so anyway, Naomi and Elimelech go down to Moab. And as they're down in Moab, uh, they get ready to come back after Naomi's husband, after her, her two sons die, in Moab, they get, she goes back to her people in Bethlehem, and we know Ruth, the Moabitess, follows Naomi, and she says, your God will be my God, and your people will be my people, but the sister of Ruth went back to her people. She said she was going back to her people and to her gods, and so realize this this morning, that the gods of the Moabite were not the gods of Israel. And the gods of Moab were gods that they worshipped through idolatry. And this nation, this horrible nation, this wicked nation, God is using to bring judgment upon the children of Israel because that they had refused to obey the God of heaven. You know, King Eglon was a king of the Moabites. He entered into an alliance with Ammon and Amalek. That's why you have Ammon and Amalek mentioned here, because they're in a conspiracy together, an alliance, if you will, to oppress the children of Israel. He overran the Transjordan region and crossed over the Jordan into the city of Jericho, because we know that, because verse 13 says he entered in past, he possessed the city of palm trees. The city of Jericho was known as the city of 
of palm trees. And so here is Moab has crossed over Jordan, is crossed through the Jordanian region, and as he comes into the city of Jericho, he takes the city of Jericho, he oppresses the children of Israel. At this very time, Jericho is not rebuilt, and but it's, it's rebuilt, but it's not a great fortress to be able to defend itself against the enemy, and as a result of it, Eglon makes Jordan his capital and keeps Israel in subjection for 18 years. What a horrible situation. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. If Christians don't wake up in America, you're going to find yourself in the same situation that Israel's in in chapter 3 of Judges. But the amazing thing is in verse 15, Israel says, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. Now, it's an amazing thing that God would raise someone up like this, Ehud. The name Ehud means, I will give thanks, I will be praised. So here we have the one who is calf-like. You got this fellow who's fat as a cow, who is oppressing the children of Israel, and he has to face the man who is raised up by God, who is the man who is, I will give thanks and I will give praise, and he's a left-handed man. That's significant. He's the left-handed man because he's going to come in and meet with the king, Eglon. So getting the fat man off your back. They want to get rid of this fat king, and they want to get rid of the idol worship. They want God to bless, and so how does he do that? Number one is this. He faces the problem. Notice in verse 17, it says, And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And so here he comes and he faces the king. The problem in Israel is the king that's oppressing them. You have to be willing to face the problem that you are having in your life. Whatever it is that is oppressing you, you can't ignore it and think it's going to get better. You need to face the problem. Notice, uh, use the talents and strengths that God has given you. Uh, This Ehud was simply a man who was a left-handed man. Uh, Great warriors, as you read through history, were identified as men who were right-handed. But this man has something that's unique, something that is different than any other leader or any other uh, deliverer in Israel. And the fact was that he he was left-handed. Now listen, God's given you special talents and God has given you special strengths so that you can overcome the oppression of the enemy in your life. You, say, you think, well, no, no, God couldn't use me to be able to be victorious. God couldn't use me to be able to be strong. Yes, he can. You know, they say of D.L. Moody, uh, was not, he had little education. But yet when you read the life of D.L. Moody, you read of thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I remember reading about D.L. Moody's life, and I remember him testifying of the fact that he always longed for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. He would pray consistently and constantly, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? One day, D.L. Moody said that he was walking down the road, and as he was walking down the street, Uh, The Spirit of God came on him so strongly and so heavy 
that he literally had to cry out to God to stay the move of the Spirit of God upon him because he could not handle the presence of God that God was revealing. You say, wait a minute, this man must have been someone special. He wasn't anybody special. He was just someone who was willing to let God use his talents and use his strengths for the glory of God. I want you to know this morning you can have victory over whatever it is that's oppressing you if you just allow the talents and strengths God has given you to be developed in your life. They say of William Carey, William Carey was a, was a humble cobbler. That's all he was, a humble cobbler. Yet William Carey uh, literally became known as the father of missions. You say, well, God couldn't use my life. I don't have anything special. You're the ideal candidate, amen? Uh, the person who had, does, doesn't have much special, something, a person who is humble in their spirit, a person who realizes they can't defeat the enemy, but they need God to work on their behalf, can face the enemy, and they can face the problem, and they can have victory over it because of the fact it's not about your strength, but rather it's about the God who has gifted you and talented you to be able to live your life. And so use the talents and strengths that God has given you. G. Campbell Morgan preached his first sermon and was told by the pulpit committee that they did not think that he could ever become a preacher. Yet, he is one of the great expositors of the Word of God in his day. I, I, listen, I remember back, no, Dr. Paul Chapel, not Chapel, well, uh, uh, what's his name? I just forgot his name. It was Michigan. His mom was a member of our church. Vanneman, there you go. Thanks for the help, hon. Amen. <laughs> Paul Vanneman, we had tele telepathic brainwaves going there. Tele oh, I'm not going to talk about that. Dr. Paul Vanneman went to Bible college, felt God calling him to preach. He, he came home. He was from Salem. He, he, he grew up on the same street where my dad grew up uh, in Salem there. They had one street there. It was called Tickletown. And, uh, you know, strange things that go on down there. But anyway... Oh, uh, he grew up on the same street as my dad did in Salem, New Jersey. He got out of Bible college, and he came home, and he preached in the Methodist church there. He was out of the Methodist church, and he preached in the Methodist church, and they told him, don't you ever come back here again. They told him, we don't want that kind of preaching in this place. Don't you ever come back here again. He left that church, left Salem, New Jersey, went up to Michigan and started a church that was a huge church. Huge Christian school. I think the school ran like four or 500 kids in it. Amazing ministry. That He went up there with absolutely nothing. He had, a, he had no money. He was told that he can't preach. He was told that it'd never be something. But I'll tell you what a man of God and what he did for the Lord. I remember he had a crooked finger. His finger is always like that. And he'd point at it. Point at Ed, you think he's pointing at Ed, but he's pointing at Ken, really, you know. <laughs> He'd, and he'd thunder, he'd had a look, he'd thunder, you better back off, then you better start living for God, I'll tell you, he used to thunder across the pulpit, I'll tell you, he'd scare the bravest man to death, I mean, it's an amazing thing, what God did in his life, but he did that because of the fact that God had talented him, and God had skilled him, and God had given him strengths that other men did not have, and God was able to use him in spite of it. 
I'm telling you one thing right now. Don't you think for one minute that everything's going to be hunky-dory and making sure you think everything's going to be easy and everything's going to be, everybody's going to be accepting. No, there is a battle that you have to face. There is an enemy that you have to overcome. And the only way you're going to overcome him is by facing the issues that you have to deal with. Face the problem. I remember my wife and I felt called to preach. Now, we didn't have an overabundance of people. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, well, that's, yeah. oh, well let's support you. Let's do all this. Oh, yeah, you need to go out. Uh, they were telling me, you know, you shouldn't go off to Bible college right now. That's what I was told by everybody. You shouldn't go right now. You're not smart enough is basically what they were saying. You haven't been saved long enough. All kinds of things. They told my wife, you, you're going to be a pastor's wife? They ridiculed her. Said, you're going to be a pastor's wife? That ain't going to work. Let me tell you something. There are problems you've got to go overcome. And those problems you're going to overcome are only going to take place when you live in reference to the talents and the skills and the strength that God gives you. Sometimes you got to get the fat man off your back so you can do something for God. Use the talents and strengths that God has given you. Letter B, just this. Use the appropriate weapon. Notice he made himself a dagger. It says here that it was double-edged. So it was like a sword. It said here it was about a cubit in length, so it was about a foot and a half long. He made himself a dagger. Uh, you got to use the right weapon to be able to defeat the enemy. You know, a lot of Christians are trying to live the Christian life with worldly counsel and ungodly uh, principles that you're trying to live by. You can't have victory in your life as a Christian by using the world's techniques. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What do, you, what do you have to overcome this morning? You're not going to do it through secular counseling. You're not going to do it for, through secular concepts and principles. You're in a spiritual battle today. And the battle that you're going to win is going to be based upon the weapon that you're going to use. And I'm thankful that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Every issue, every problem, every difficulty that I face in my life, I can find the answer right here in this book. And I can use it as the mighty sword of God and bring down the enemy. Amen. Face the problem. Don't go running and hiding in the corner. I remember my dad taught me how to be a man. And uh, my dad told me, I don't even know what grade I was in, sixth or seventh grade or something like that, and some boy had punched me in the mouth and cut my lip. And I'm not all for fighting and all this, that, and the other, and using worldly means. I wasn't saved, my dad wasn't saved, but I like what he told me to do. <laughs> I told him, I said, he said, boy, who hit you in the mouth? I said, so-and-so. He said, what did you do to him? I said, nothing. And he said, you go back to school tomorrow and you punch him in the mouth what he told me I said well dad I might get it suspended from school if I do that he said good I got work to do around the farm <laughs> now that's not Christian counseling now <laughs> Christian counseling would be we pray for our enemies amen after we hit them <laughs> You got to face the problem. You can't cower and hide in the corner. 
You realize how many things that in ministry for 35 years that I've had to stand up and face the problem? You, you know, if, if you're going to be able to be successful and victorious in your Christian life, you can't away, run away from the problem. I don't care if it's drug, I don't care if it's alcohol, I don't care if it's pornography, I don't care if it's gambling, I don't care if it's drinking, I don't care what the problem is that's oppressing you, the way you defeat it is by using the word of God, use the proper weapon to fight against the enemy. Why? Because it's a fat man that's weighing you down. Get him off your back. So use the appropriate weapon. Use the opportunities that God gives you to overcome it. Notice in verse 18, it says, when he had made an end of the offering of the present, the, to offer the present, he sent away the people and bare the present. He turned, uh, him, he himself turned again from the quarries that were in, by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, uh, who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. Here's the opportunity. He comes in before him, and as he comes in before him, uh, he says, I have a secret. I need to share something with you. And so the king sends all the men out. And when the king sends all the uh, men out, now Ehud has his opportunity. Now listen, if you're not looking for the opportunity, you'll never seize a hold of it. And there are opportunities that God gives us. There is no temptation, but that which is common to man, but God will, with the temptation, provide a means of escape. And that verse is fulfilled in verse 18 and 19 in Judges chapter 3. Because now Ehud has the opportunity to be able to face the enemy and to destroy the enemy that the children of Israel might be set free. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night, because of them. You know, Nehemiah was smart enough in leading the children of Israel to build the wall around uh, Jerusalem that when they were talking to God and praying to God that enabled them to finish the task that was before them, he wasn't dumb enough to forget that he needs to watch out for the enemy. Amen. Too many Christians are living as an ostrich, ignoring the enemy. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. The unsaved heathen do not want anything, a blessing in your life, and you better watch out for them. I'm telling you right now, you better watch out. You better be ready to vote on issues. You better be willing to vote on Christian principles. You better be willing to confront the world as it brings attacks on us because every day, every day, Christians are being martyred around the world. Every day in America, there are laws that are being passed to oppress the Christian. Pray. Oh, we got to pray to God. We're going to use the proper weapons, the power of prayer, and the sword of the word of God. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I ain't turning my back on them. I'm going to keep my eye on the, the old enemy. I'm going to watch out for what he's doing. And anything he does to oppress the people of God and hinder the preaching of the word of God, I'm going to rise up and stand against it because I'm not going to let the world, I'm not going to let the fat man get me down. Amen. Amen. Warren Worsby said this. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. 
And I'm afraid that's what a lot of people are doing. You watch Fox News, you watch this news, you watch that thing, you look on YouTube, you look at these, and all you do is look at the problems. Oh, I can't stand it. I can't look at any more news. And then you sit down five minutes later and turn the news on. <laughs> if we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. Listen, we are not defeated by this world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And bless God, when the fat man comes, you can overcome the fat man by facing the problem. Notice you're able to get rid of the fat man by piercing it through. Piercing it through. In verse 21, it says, And Ehud put his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly, and the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. I see a couple things here. It was a deliberate action. You know, Joshua said this in Joshua 24 and verse 15, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Realize this this morning, that living a Christian life is not by chance. Living the Christian life is a deliberate decision. If you're lost this morning, you're not saved, you're on your way to hell, the only way that you're going to be saved is by deliberately making a decision that you're going to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But as we battle the world in which we live in, and we have to overcome the oppression that we face, uh, it's going to be a deliberate decision. When Ehud made up his mind, he made the dagger... He set the appointment, and he went in before Eglon. I'm telling you, he did not waver in the decision that he made. Joshua didn't waver in his decision he made. It was a deliberate decision. Choose you whom you'll serve, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It's a deliberate decision. Notice it was a decisive decision because uh, he says here in verse 21, he thrust it in. His belly and the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. It was a decisive decision. Uh, it could not be reversed. Normally, when somebody was right-handed, they put the sword on their left side, and they pull it out like so. They greet somebody, you shake somebody's right hand, that hand is not available to pull out a weapon. But see, Eglon didn't know that Ehud was left-handed. Amen. Park there for a minute, preacher. Let's think about it. Eglon, as he's there ready to greet Ehud, Ehud comes in and shakes his hand and reaches over with his left hand and pulls the dagger, thrusts it in. He pierced it through. It was a decisive decision. It was not something that could be changed. And he was so fat that the fat swallowed up his hand and the shaft of the, of the dagger to where he could not even bring it back out. The decisive decision was a fatal blow that destroyed the fat man to get him off the back of Israel. Now listen, you need to render a fatal blow to the decisions that you make in your life that oppress you. You have to decide 
As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You have to decide in Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no man, no man putting his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Realize this this morning. You do the, do the kingdom of God no good with this dilly-dallying in the church and out of the church and in the church and out of the church. Oh, I'm giving to the work. I'm not giving to the work. Oh, I love Christians. I hate Christians. You're not doing anything good for the kingdom of God. Make a decisive decision and slay the enemy. Amen. You all look like you're getting nervous. You'll like the next point. Notice the next point in verse 22. It can be dirty decision. He stabbed him. He deliberately decided to go in and meet with Eglon. It was a decisive decision because he was not going to back off what he did. Could not be changed. But it says, as he ran the blade into the belly of Eglon, the dirt came out. Now, I don't want to be gross this morning. I think you understand what it's talking about. When you face the enemy, what's oppressing you, and you want to get it out of your life, it gets dirt. You don't think so? Talk to some drug addict. Trying to get off drugs when they got DTs. Their body's craving. Their body's fighting. They're wanting that drugs. Because I think it's okay to legalize marijuana. You sound kind of fool. Realize what that stuff does to people's body? You realize what it does in frying their brain? Oh, it's just a small drug. Yeah, okay. All right. Your brains are going to be ruined. You realize when you get ready to get off of alcohol, what it's going to do to your body to try to get off of that alcohol? I, I had a job. I just was going through some job interviews, I mean, job applications I received a while ago and uh, for a teaching position. And... Um, this one, this girl had given me her, her job application. On the application I have on here, do you, do you drink any alcohol? And she put it down, just once in a while. But I'll stop if that's necessary for the job. And I thought to myself, I didn't call her up. I didn't talk to her. I thought, you ain't getting any job here. Because you have no conviction about defiling your body. You have no conviction about living a godly life. You think I'm going to take someone with a life that is double-minded and put them in a classroom to teach children about who Jesus Christ is? I don't think so. It gets dirty when you start talking about we're going to stand for God. It gets dirty. People accuse you. People will fight against you. People will oppress you. It gets dirty when you stand up and you're in the battle for the Lord. I like what... Uh, there are people, there's people who some will like it, some will oppose it, some will fight against it, some will question it. Uh, oh, literally, when Jesus was on the cross, he pierced through sin when he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. 
he finished it. A.W. Tozer said this, I'm not afraid of the devil. He can't handle the one to whom I am uh, joined with. Amen. So why, why should you worry about the devil? He's the fat man that's oppressing you, piercing through, piercing through with the nails from off the cross, piercing through with the blood of Jesus Christ, piercing through. Listen, if, if Jesus Christ is on my side, the devil can't fight. That song we sang this morning, I love that song. Meanwhile, back at the cross, the devil thought he won, but he lost. He's a loser and he's defeated, so I'm not going to allow him to control my life. Max Lucado said this, God never said that the journey will be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. <laughs> and glory to God. So I don't know if I want to get into all this stuff of trying to fight the battle and live for the Lord and all that. Uh, let me tell you something, it is worthwhile. And the children of Israel are going to know that this was worthwhile because God's going to give them complete victory from this man who oppressed them for 18 years. So getting the fat man off your back. Well, here's the last point. This is a good one. In verse 23, lock it behind you. In verse 23, it says, Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. Verse 24, it says, When he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covered his feet in his summer chamber. Lock it behind you. What do I mean by that? First of all, letter A, there's just this. If God has forgiven you, then forgive yourself. I tell you right now, I ain't for all this counseling that all it does is bring up the past. I'm not for it. People say, well, you got to deal with people's repressed memories. No, you need to get their memories under the blood of Christ. Uh, if God has forgiven you, the greatest liberating experience in a person's life is the forgiveness of God. So for, look what, from as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my iniquities. To know that literally God does not remember my sin anymore. He's cast them in the depths of the sea and he remembers them most, no more. Then why do I have to remember them? When Christ forgave me and he set me free, from the alcohol and from the cursing and all the wicked life I was living, I don't go back and say, well, let me open the door to you and see what I used to be. Oh, I was such a terrible person. If the door's locked, leave it locked. Amen. If Christ has forgiven you, then forgive yourself. Well, I could never forgive myself. So you're greater than God? So the God of all the universe who is the one who has been more offended by his creation than what you'll ever be offended can look at you and say, I love you and I forgive you. What makes you think you're any more holy or just in saying I can't forgive myself? Get it under the blood. Lock the door. If God has cast away your sin, then you cast it away. Throw it out. Get it out of your life. So I can't, I can't stand this new movement in Christianity. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. It drives me insane. It really does. It drives me absolutely insane. Now, while we're saved, while we're under grace, so we can live our life and do whatever we want because we're saved by grace. Whoa, 
What sin did God say that you saved by grace you can enjoy now? If God cast your sin away, then why are you running after enjoy doing that. No, I understand completely. The flesh enjoys doing that. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says, Who is God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Lock the door and leave it locked. Don't bring up the past. Don't think about the past. The problem is this. We wonder why our children are struggling. It's because we want to talk too much about our past. And it entices them to appear from their flesh. And their flesh wants to enjoy the things that you should enjoy. Don't talk about it. It's under the blood. Leave it under the blood. It's cast out of your life. Leave it out of your life. Why? Because the fat man will oppress you. If God closed the door, then keep the door cl closed. In Revelation, I love this. Revelation chapter 3. And I know I've got to finish up here. I only have a couple of thoughts here, and we'll be done by noon. Revelation chapter 3, in verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, and he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. If God closes the door, keep it shut. So I don't understand why I'm not getting in victory in my life. I'll tell you what the problem is. You keep opening up the door that God shut. You'll never get victory over the fat man. You'll never get over victory over your oppression. You'll never get victory over the temptations. You'll never get victory over sin until you close the door on it. So close the door on past sins. 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Sin has no hold on me. I almost didn't go into Bible college and go into ministry because I have a tattoo on my arm. It's a wicked tattoo. It's a bulldog. His eyes are drooping. He's getting in bad shape, I'll tell you. I keep telling him he's got to work out a little bit more. Stretch that skin a little bit tighter so he doesn't look so rough. But I almost didn't go to ministry because I said, well, I've got that. I know what I, where I was. This was back in 1972. Let me tell you, I remember every detail of my condition, where I was, what I was doing, why I got it. The devil likes to remind you about what my past is. 
tell you what that tattoo does remind me of is the grace of God to save that wretched sinner. And I know this. My past sins have no hold on me. Oh, the past likes to become a weight. It likes to be the fat man that wants to oppress me. But when it does, I pull the dagger out and I pierce it through again. I put it back on the cross, amen, past sins, past conduct, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I, I, I had a lady who was mad at me. Oh, my goodness gracious. This was years ago. I get tickled. I should write a book of all the people that yell at me, amen. And this woman, she was in there. She was yelling at me about all kinds of stuff. And I just said, well, I'm sorry, man. You feel that way? We're not, not going to do that. That's what we're doing. She looked at me. She said, you're, you're acting just like a typical alcoholic. That's how alcoholics act. Get right. I mean, she went off on me. And I looked at her and said, man, my alcoholism is under the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. I've been Amen. saved. I've been born again. I'm not the man Amen. I used to be. Don't come in here accusing me of being an alcoholic. No, we're always an alcoholic. No, you're not. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Amen. Well, it's another sermon. <laughs> Present victory. Philippians 4, 13, I do, can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Do you believe that this morning? Well, I guess two people do. <laughs> the simple question is this. What's oppressing you? Who's the fat man? Who is it? Who's weighing you down? Who's accusing you, brother? Who's the beat? Don't let him lift it. Get the fat man off your back. Face that issue. Get it under the blood. Pull out the dagger, the sword of the word of God. Pierce it through. Kill that enemy. And get up on your feet and stand in the power of Jesus Christ. And you can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Say, so what are you talking about this morning, preacher? I'm talking about the fat man. I'm talking about getting the fat man off your back. We need to have Christians that are strong, victorious, aggressive, standing on the word of God, testifying of the grace of God that not just saves individuals, but changes people's lives and gives us victory from day by day. I don't want to live a life of defeat. I don't want to be overcome by the enemy. I want to be on top. Dr. Malone had a guy coming down the hallway one day, and he was hanging his head Dr. Malone said, how are you doing today? And he said, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Dr. Malone looked at him and said, what are you doing under there? You're not supposed to be living under the circumstances. We're living on top. We're our victors through Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. I'm having too much fun. I'll be preaching for another half hour. Get the fat man off your back. Let me ask you, bow your heads. Let's pray. What's defeating you? Be honest. What can't, is it that you can't get victory over? What is it that's just constantly hounding you? What is it? Maybe bad thoughts. Maybe bitterness. Maybe anger. I don't know what it is. What, it, what is it? Why don't you talk to God about it right now? Say, Lord, you got to get this fat man off my back. I've got to have victory today. I need to Father, we're so thankful for grace. We're thankful for love. 
We're thankful for the Christ, the Christ that died on Calvary. We're thankful for the blood that he shed. We're thankful for his power over death and the devil, the grave, as he rose up in, victor in victory on Easter Sunday. We're thankful for the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. We're thankful that we are more than conquerors through him that love us. We're thankful, Lord, that we're on the winning side. God, give victory this morning, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.